0: Must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork.
1: Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another this 30th. Episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams. It's about being in teams. It's about leading teams. It's about generally getting the most out of your team. Uh, I am Mark Johnson. I am a performance teacher and a performance maker, and I am joined as always. There he is by my partner in Pod. And recent charity 5k participant, Sean Gallagher. Hello, Sean. Sean is a a sports coach and is the uh, sports coordinator and head of co-curricular at our shared workplace. How are you feeling?
0: I feel good. I'm getting all the endorphins off of that 5k run. feel energetic um, and now ready to relax and tuck
1: into my Sunday roast. The perfect reward there. For indeed a, a charitable run, in fact, do you want to talk a little bit about the charity? Yeah,
0: so over the last couple of years, um, I've organized charity runs for Evelina Children's Hospital, uh, which are based in St. Thomas's, uh, which is right opposite our building. Um, and they're an awesome charity, do lots of excellent work uh, with children, sort at similar ages to our students. Um, so yeah, we've been doing that for the last few years. Um, today, we had lots of staff and students out, which was awesome.
1: But virtually, so you had to coordinate this across the capital.
0: We did indeed, yeah. Uh, Microsoft Teams, if you want to sponsor us.
1: Um, <laughs> it's we- about Microsoft Teams. It's about- <laughs> We tried early on, we tried. It uh, didn't happen. <laughs> we did. Uh, <laughs> so
0: yeah, we met up at 9.45 this morning via Teams. Everyone was uh, raring to go. Uh, We had a small presentation, uh, again, virtually from someone from Evelina and Jamie Webb, uh, European silver medalist in the 800 metres, which was awesome and a great kind of motivator to get us all out uh, and doing our 5K, whether that was walking, uh, cycling, running. um, But yeah, no,
1: lots of juice, as we would say, Mark. It was super and it was a fundraiser. And at this point, I think think that, Sean, you're pretty much responsible for nearly £10,000 going to Evelina. This would be the event that tips it over, hopefully. So we'll put a little uh, fundraiser nod in the show notes. If you do have a little bit to spare, you can throw that in there. Uh, we're going back into the archives today, Sean. We are. We really are. So today uh, we are going to welcome uh, a whole bunch of new listeners, thanks to our recent episodes and the Jamie and last week's uh, Danny Townsend. We're, we've had a whole bunch of new people jump on board, which is really, really amazing. And we have had some excellent conversations in the past. And as you, as some of you know, we've reposted a couple of our favourites. Easily, up until this point, our most popular was Dom Walsh.
0: Yes, Dom's episode was awesome. Um, he really broke down his kind of coaching philosophy and his values um, and, and just an awesome guy, like really fun episode. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed recording it at the time um, and I've had lots of awesome feedback on this one. Um, so I'm really delighted to be able to share this to a bigger audience mm. um, and I hope
1: that people will enjoy it. Yeah. We're going to continue this sporting angle with dom walsh and uh, his episode which was called visible behaviors not whiteboard values let's head over to dom Team. Yes. Yes. so we are incredibly honored to have on today uh, and uh, welcome to the podcast dom walsh from juventus academy saudi arabia
2: hello dom hello thank you very much mark how are you <laughs>
1: i'm very very good uh we are still in the, we're checking in we're still in the middle of lockdown um is that the same way you are
2: yep absolutely still not allowed out so very limited in terms of how much trouble i can cause at the moment. it's frustrating <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey dom how you doing mate
2: hi i'm good how are you showing your care? Okay?
0: Very well, very well. Thank you so much for coming on, mate. We really appreciate it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into some bits and pieces today uh, with regards to coaching and, and just your kind of journey as well um, and just uh, your opinions and thoughts on, uh, on what we talk about on this podcast, just teams and, and uh, cultures, uh, et cetera.
2: Yeah, really looking forward to it. I, I've heard some of the uh, previous ones, so there's some tough acts to follow. There's been some great stuff, so I'm excited for it. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: So I gave you a very brief introduction there, but perhaps you want to tell us just a little bit uh, about how you've gotten to where you are, what's your journey been so far?
2: Okay, so um, basically I think like most people that become coaches, first of all, you're a failed athlete. Um, So unfortunately, (laughs) um, like most young lads, I suppose, I grew up with the ambition of I want to be a professional footballer. By the time I was getting to about 13, 14, I felt like I understood the game and had a knowledge of the game beyond my age but my athletic capabilities weren't ever going to allow me to go and pursue a professional career. Um, and basically, I was terrible at everything else, so the only option I had was to become a football coach. Um, so that became my passion <laughs> sort of very early on. Um, and then I went into the girls' game. My first role was with an under-10s girls' team. Uh, progressed from that to working with a youth team in the Northwest Youth Alliance, so that was quite a good standard of youth football. Um, and then within the same club worked up to manage semi-professionally. I've been at Burnley Academy in the Premier League um, as a foundation-phase coach there, and then now I'm out in uh, Saudi Arabia working with Juventus. So quite a mix in terms of working with obviously males and females and also working with age groups really all the way from five up to open age. So it's been quite a good mix in there, really.
1: Absolutely. It sounds like... um within that mix not just of the age that you're working with but the point at which people are meeting the sport I guess the under 10s yeah. are we talking about like the first time they've played football
2: uh, yes yeah, so, so, so there's been again a range in sort of ability I suppose because there has been times where I've gone into schools and I've done like community projects where you are somebody's very first exposure and experience of the game and then there's other times where you're meeting somebody that's only eight years old but he's coming into a professional academy and after five minutes of doing things that are absolutely blowing your mind and you're amazed at the ability that they're showcasing. So again, there's been a very differing range in terms of... When that contact happens, what point somebody is actually at in terms of the the footballing journey, if you like.
0: Dom, do you think that's a, a huge kind of trait that you could probably say the same about teachers in that way? Because I think teachers and coaches are more and more just merging into kind of one role for me. But is that a massive trait that a coach needs to have, that ability to... Understand who they're working with like really quickly because as you said you could have an eight-year-old that can't kick a ball and that's their first exposure and an eight-year-old who is better than all three of us
2: (laughs) yeah yeah it's a a really good really good question um because i think i think especially when you you are a teacher or you are a coach we talk a lot about um how we're going to educate somebody in regards to maybe technical a technical program or a tactical program all these sorts of things Um, or in a school it might be a specific curriculum. But I think we also have a huge responsibility in terms of almost facilitating children to fall in love with something. So facilitating Mm. that passion um, and encouraging that passion and drive to really fall in love with something and enjoy it. And I think that's definitely a, a really important part and a really valuable skill in a coach or a teacher that if somebody loves something and they love the person in a sense that is also teaching them, that thing then they'll probably succeed and do better within it i think we all do better with things that we enjoy um so that that seems to be where a lot of success comes from you love something you're passionate about it and therefore you're you're more more keen and more driven to obviously accomplish something within it
1: yeah and it sounds like you've been at that first step that like the opening of that door but also a lot further down the line as well you talked there a little bit about kind of the the principles, kind of the specifics that you're coaching. The place you're at at the moment has quite a formal version of that, if I'm remembering right. Yeah,
2: now. yeah. So obviously, with with the uh, with Juventus, with the Italian methodology, if you like, as well, a lot of things are very structured, very rigid. Um, so the England DNA now, in terms of football, encompasses more ownership and really allowing the children to learn for themselves. Um, Where I am and using the Italian methodology is a lot more didactic in terms of Mm. coach-led. You're the one who's going to be making the interventions. You're the one who's going to be utilising more of a command style more frequently um, and really teaching rather than that word I used before, facilitating and scaffolding the learning. You're more Mm. hands-on and manually guiding it. So it's a little bit different, yeah, but in terms of the principles as well, a lot of the principles in football when you're, when you're within a club, they're dictated to you. Um, so in terms of values, beliefs, they'll be written on a whiteboard um, and then, or they'll be written in a presentation and then you're responsible then, I suppose, to embrace that and, and immerse yourself within it and, and represent it. Um, something that's really big on that for me, Mark, is when we see a lot of times it's, it's labelled as values or beliefs, I don't, I don't really like that term beliefs and values anymore. I much prefer to term it as behaviours because I think in my own experiences, you see a lot of people who say they have a certain value or they have these set of beliefs, yeah. but maybe it is just something that they say and you don't see yeah. it. Um, and I think when you're working within a team, it's really about what you represent. So if I mm. say that one of my values is respect, do I show that and do I embody that all the time and set that exactly. example to my players and the people around me, or is it in a conversation and then what you actually see in my behaviour co- contradicts it?
0: Uh, or is it in an inter- is it in a job interview?
2: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, there's a really long list I think of values and beliefs that you use in a job interview. Yeah, that's a bit different. Definitely. It's.
1: I find it really, really interesting that you say that because I think there's. particularly when you're working with young people who are um trained in a way to deliver the answer that the adult in the room wants they know you want to hear that that respect and honesty are their values to go back and to say to those kids write a list of everything you did this week what did your actions what did your behaviors to use the word you did tell the world that your values are what did what you do say is important to you and it's quite an enlightening one for young people i think for them to see it in terms of you are giving an answer but it's not in your words you are telling the world what's yeah. important to you by how how you conduct yourself how do how do you communicate that to the young people that you're working with or have worked with in the past
2: i think for i think first of all it's about obviously practicing what you preach not not to be cliche but that that is mm. a huge aspect of it in regards to you have to really be able to demonstrate those values before you can pass them on to anybody else. Um, The importance I think there as well with passing them on is around like we've just said about behaviors, rather than just saying, I want us as a team to respect everyone always. That's one of the, I want us to be committed. It's now about what does that look like? So it might be in a presentation to your players on a video, It might be an example of a professional footballer or somebody else within the club. I know that when I was at Burnley, we used a lot with Dwight McNeil, who's now in the first team, doing really well. We used a lot for the younger players to look up to him and what's he done and what what journey has he gone on. Um, And he was that sort of role model.
1: These are the steps. These are the stepping stones.
2: Yeah, definitely. And it does also, I think, come back to, obviously, you will know as teachers and also in my role as a coach, Again, that very, very important part that you have uh, in in terms of being a role model, that Mm -hmm. part that you play as a role model. Um, So again, yes, I'm saying that I want us to be committed, but am I committed? If my Mm -hmm. players see me after the game, sat there evaluating things, discussing them with my coaches, on the whiteboard going through things again, they can see that commitment from me. So now I have a right to expect it from them, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: And and again, Dom, that's uh, you know we had we had Dan Lavapore saying that you know sometimes values can just be kind of put up on a board, and you know every club is putting up their values and beliefs, but when you actioning it, you don't necessarily need a PowerPoint presentation because they know they don't need to say we're committed as a club or commitment is one of our core values because they see it embodied in the coaching staff yeah. around them like you said you know a lot of the time I watch these documentaries and stuff like that that they have on you know people like Fergie and 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 these top managers and you know they they're always at the training ground before the players you know they're always there before the players so the player turns up and his boss is already there will uh you know already um set up and waiting to go straight away that puts your mindset into a place where we're going to work here you know um and I think the second point on on that Dom in terms of the role models because that's that's a really good one especially having young professionals uh look up, um having young professionals within a club to look up to from academy players and uh I'm gonna kind of make a segue here to uh to independent school but um I was watching the uh, a very British school um Harrow that, that's the name of the program, I believe. And uh, it's just so interesting to see their upper sixths and how they work within their houses with the lower school students, where they all put on productions together and they all work together as a house. It's all being led by the older students, not necessarily the staff. You know, and I think that's a huge part of it as well, um, especially if we look at education and within the coaching system. You know, how many academy boys are taking ownership of maybe some of the younger groups that come in? I'm not too sure if there's any work being done on that or not.
2: No, that's a, that's a really great idea, and it sounds like a, a program that will probably be very successful. Um, I think it's twofold in terms of it's great for the younger children coming up, having those role models uh, to almost idolize and look up to, but it's also the the actual education and experience of leadership, I suppose, for those older students. Um, I think within academies, within football, um, it's very difficult probably to do that a lot of the time in terms of, as ruthless as it may sound, if you're in an academy, your job is to get a certain number of players through to the next age group. So just even speaking from a personal point of view, am I going to invite somebody else in to come and deliver a session or three sessions? I probably won't, Is, is the truth of it. So, giving that ownership where possible and that guided ownership, I think, is really, really good for can one of the under 18s come and deliver a session or part of a session with the under 10s, maybe? Um, and again, that two fold process of benefits. Um, however, the amount that it actually happens and you see it, I think, is think maybe not as much as we should because of the stigma around this almost ruthless nature of the business and the stigma around being a perfectionist and everything being done to the highest standard all the time.
1: The cost of failure is too high yeah. to take the risk of, of, of that and creating creating an environment of success will often mean not varying from the pattern, not, not varying from the ingredients of the formula.
2: I think a lot of the decisions you make, I think is a, in a le- when you're a leader in any capacity, is cost versus benefit. And that is, that is I think, the decision there. So, what is the potential benefit? Is It's great. In this example, particularly, it's really great that you can have one player becoming a leader for a younger player. However, the cost could be, does it maybe not work out? There's always that fear of the failure there, I think. Yeah. And, and there is such a... Uh, our, our business, especially, you've, you feel that you're scrutinised a lot. We do that as football coaches a lot. We scrutinise what each other do. Um, and under that scrutiny, sometimes you can probably probably almost embed a little bit of fear in someone or a member of staff in terms of I'm not going to branch out and, and think outside the box and do something like that because I don't know what's going to come back.
0: Which is the funniest thing for me because I completely agree. As soon as I asked you that question, um, you know I, I definitely had a feeling that you may come back with you know, in an elite environment, is that something that we can actually put into place practically? And I want 100% get that elite environment um, and what it must be like. But the, the strangest thing is that the people that books are written about or that people write books on or the Jurgen Klopp's of this world, they're always the ones that are the kind of crazy scientists, the ones that do yeah. something slightly different. So, you know, do I want to be an under-16s academy coach, uh, you know, at a top Premier League club if I feel... I have to work to a certain structure and my personality and, and what I want to put out on the pitch. Maybe I can't be my true self because it will come across as in a certain way or maybe not as elite as it needs to be. That must be a tough thing for, for a coach, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think, I think like you just said there, I think the, the people that are the very best in the world at something usually have broken the mold at some point. Um, one thing I would say on that, because there is definitely some people that can do that. They can take a philosophy, if you like, or they can take that set of beliefs that we talked about before. And even if they're not their own, they can actually represent them and they can immerse themselves within that. Personally, I know I can't do that. I don't have the skill to be able to do that. I cannot work in an environment where I don't feel that my beliefs and my interpretation of what a culture should look like, if that isn't embodied in the place that I'm working in, then I would really, really struggle. To, uh, to be authentic, I suppose, in that environment because you do want to be authentic in terms of everything you do because it's about trust. Players trust somebody that is delivering and acting on what they say and acting on the principles that they, that they lay out. The minute that you are trying to teach somebody a value or a belief that you don't believe in yourself. I think players, even younger players, they can smell that a mile off, they know that they know what's coming, um, and, and they will catch you out for it, um, because they're a lot more intelligent than we often think.
1: 100%. <laughs> My question off the back of that then, is what is your process of buying in? Because if you have an organization that has a rigorous, strict set of processes, or things that they believe are important, and you know that in order to get the young people to where they need to be, they need to buy in, and you are the connector between the organisation and the young person, how do you buy in? Did you have to go through a process?
2: In terms of me buying into what I'm delivering? Uh,
1: Yeah, and and for the different organisations. So, like you said, Burnley and and, uh, Juventus, very different styles, Mm -hmm. very different sets of... of, uh, Behaviors, brackets, values, (laughs) to move from one to the other. Did you have to reframe something for yourself so that you could be authentic in this, in this message that you're now trying to communicate?
2: I definitely think you do make subtle adaptations. I think the biggest thing, if you like the, the Burnley to Juventus thing, the biggest changes, to be honest, are more around the actual technical program that you're delivering. Yeah. What, what is the game model, for example, at Burnley versus Juventus, the style of football, very, very different. Um, so the playing philosophies are there's a huge contrast there in terms of actual values or behaviours very similar so actually really similar even though those clubs are quite different ends of the spectrum mm. spectrum sorry um, you've still got that underpinning sort of integrity respect commitment growing people before players um, so all these sort of buzzwords, if you like, that get thrown around. You do see them across a lot of different clubs. The main one, the main one for me is maybe I'm a bit of an old man or a bit old school, but I really <laughs> am about dedication, hard work, honesty. And if I think that I'm working in an environment where that is represented and that is really reinforced by people's behaviours, then I can be I'm comfortable there. I'm yeah, really then, comfortable then actually, the program
1: doesn't matter as long as it's as long as how you deliver it is built on those foundations.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. I suppose that is almost the the foundation or, if you like, the platform that then I feel that I can work off. And if that's there and that is strong, now I can go and be myself and express my individuality in other parts of my coaching and other parts of my behaviours.
0: Dom, Dom um, obviously here we're talking a lot about teams and teamwork and, and obviously how to kind of... Um, create those really successful uh, environments uh, that people enjoy and want to be part of. Uh, where do you value kind of togetherness and how important is it the people that you work with um, and kind of what sort of traits do, do, do you like in people that, that you work with or have worked with in different kind of environments?
2: I think in, in football, especially from my experience, if you have a group that you would say the togetherness and the cohesion is, is high and is strong, I think you will always almost overachieve or succeed more than you probably expected to achieve. If you're working within an environment without that togetherness and without that collective buy-in, not just to me and my messages, not just to the club, but to each other, you are then on a really, really difficult project um, because it's so difficult to do things if even one or two elements of a team aren't connecting and working effectively and with everybody together you will always achieve more so I think the, better, the best example in, in my line of work is probably Leicester when they won the Premier League I mean right. yeah. in, individually you would probably say Kante was the only player in that team that was better than every other player in his position in the league every other one of the ten players individually Probably couldn't have got into any of the, the so-called top four teams at the time, but as a team, as a unit collectively, they were just outstanding. So there's so many examples in sport of where togetherness probably is, is actually achieved more than real quality and real talent, if you like. I think togetherness over talent in a team environment will, all, will always be more effective. I think it's invaluable.
1: I know that it's really tough to pin pin it down, but on the example that you've just given, would you attribute that to doing their separate things well with each other or doing something the same, like a consistency with everyone across the board? Is it about being a functioning set of pieces that fit together like a jigsaw puzzle or is there something that is a layer that we're all doing the same?
2: I think, it's a, I think it's actually a very very intelligent mix because there is definitely an aspect and, and a, a viewpoint in terms of these players complement each other's attributes very, very well. The, the tactical game model they had and the style of play also complemented the technical and the physical attributes of the playing staff that they had at the time. But then I also think that if you look at the behaviours of those players, if you look at the commitment to the cause and that sort of dedication and just how relentless they were in terms of the work rate and the energy output and the desire in games, that's something where I think then that's across the board. Every single player is saying, I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to give you 110%. Make sure you're behind me doing the same. Yeah, and, and no accountability nobody, no, to each other yeah. at a level. Definitely, and that—that's a great word. And I think that—that's a word that you hear in a changing room a hell of a lot now. Is accountability. Um, and again, a lot of people will tell you they're accountable, but being accountable when it really matters is very, very difficult. It's a very difficult thing to do.
0: Yeah, it feels—it feels like that's maybe a bit more of an old school kind of thing where you know players talking professionally now, but players back in the day, you know, you see your Tony Adams and your Stuart Pearce's and your Roy Keynes, There was so much accountability on themselves and and of the players around them and nowadays I don't know whether some of the younger players that are coming up and maybe it's just stereotypical I'm not in these changing rooms so I could be talking absolute rubbish but it seems as though there's not maybe as much accountability that they put on themselves or maybe people around them uh, or maybe there's that fear factor that you spoke about as to actually communicating that and it's weird I don't know if that's a cultural thing and just times have changed you know, in society, I'm not, it's I, interesting I can't some of those names you threw out,
1: Sean, because a lot of those, those guys kind of are the coaches of now, aren't they?
0: Yeah, I mean, some of them have gone into management, yeah. Um, Yeah, Tony Adams dabbled, I think, is the kindest thing to say. (laughs) Uh, Stuart Pearce as well. Um, And then Roy Keane, you know, he likes to sit on the sidelines and shout at people. But uh, I mean, they're all great players.
1: There's a a whole bunch of listeners, including, I'm assuming, my dad, who are rolling their eyes at you calling people from the 90s uh, old school.
0: Yeah, apologies. (laughs) Apologies to anyone (laughs) over 30. (laughs) But, but no, but no Dom, I think, I think maybe there's less, less accountability now. It's probably a hard thing to say, but I don't know.
2: I, I think, to be honest, I completely agree with you. I think I, I can only put this bluntly, to be honest. I've been trying to think there of, of how I can turn this in a nice way, but I don't think I can. <laughs> um, I do unfortunately feel that not just in football, but in society in general now, I think we're very fluffy. We're yeah. very, very fluffy. A player comes through the door, wrap them in cotton wool don't let them be hurt, don't expose them to anything that's going to be too challenging or might upset them, Um, and unfortunately, well unfortunately for me, it's obviously based on your personal view and your opinion, but that has taken over a lot of clubs and a lot of environments in education I think as well, for me when I talk about working in an environment where I believe in what they do, that's something that I, I, Mm. I again don't accept, I don't believe in that, I believe that... People have to understand adversity and be exposed to adversity to then be able to deal with it. Something that I'm always trying to develop in a player, whether they're 30 or 15 or 10, is resilience. Not yeah, because you're going to of... lose
1: more than you win.
2: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And not just, not just for football, but we talk about developing life skills and, and a holistic approach to actually developing a person as well as a player. Resilience is so important. And you cannot be resilient if you have never been exposed to those challenges. I remember, honestly, I remember working in an academy environment and players would come in for the first time in the under-10s group. So under-10, coming into a new academy, it's quite a daunting experience. You're coming in, you're coming to a a million-pound training facility, indoor AstroTurf, you're playing against other players that are already signed and have been in that environment for a while. And I remember the first thing that I used to do was play them one against two against our two best players so they would come in they've come through the door you've shook the hands of the parents you've said hello and then you've just thrown them to the lions and most (laughs) children would get beat 13-14-0 I wasn't bothered about the score I never asked the score I wasn't even looking at the ball I was not observing anything technically whatsoever my mindset and approach was if this player is relentless now doesn't give up, they show that resilience of, I'm losing, but I'm going to keep going, then I can make a player there. He's obviously already got a level of talent because he's been scouted, so he's here. But if he now has this mindset and this growth mindset, I can really work and make something out of this player. Even, I used to even ask them, I'd say to them probably five minutes in, do you want a teammate? And 90% of children will say, yeah. But there is 10%, even at that age, where they'll be 12-0 down, out of breath, drowning in their own sweat. And they'll turn around to you and say, no, don't give me a team, mate. I'll go again. And usually, if you observe that player's journey in a year, two years, even three or four years' time, they have excelled and they are right at the top of those groups. And there's so much to be said for, for having that mindset. But we have a responsibility then as educators to obviously facilitate and support that.
0: I really, I really like that. I really like that idea. I've never really, it's been a while since I've worked with a younger age group like that, because I'm now working sort of 15, 16, 17. Um, But again, I mean, it could be used at all levels, but I I really like that first and almost initiation uh, in, 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 yeah. in a sense, you know. I, I, I'd like to have seen the kids that were like, yeah, give me give me about five or
2: six, I'm struggling. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we definitely had that. But, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing of... Uh, it really wasn't a thing of... of you, you're obviously... You're not trying to break them. You're just trying to see where, where they are at. And I remember having conversations with coaches at the time who were sort of like, Dom, you can't do that. Yeah. Like, it's not right. That kid's yeah. already scared. And I just... My response was always... You're in an academy environment. It is a ruthless place to be. And if you can't get through a 1v2 game, whether you like it or not, you're probably not going to last very long. So
1: 100%. It's, uh,
2: it's almost being cruel to be kind, I suppose, in a sense.
1: Mark, it's, have you? it raises an interesting oh, thing sorry. for me, actually, because when, when I'm working with young people from a performing arts point of view and they are struggling, whether they have talent or not, they're going to hit the point where they struggle there is a value in perspective there for me that if you that you need to be a kid who can play a one v two game or be on stage and remember that you did it because you love it or remember that it was fun and that the playing is as fun as the winning that if I can if I can get if I can enjoy playing against the two best players or doing something that's difficult, then maybe I'll get through it. I'm conflicted with this whole conversation because of how it puts, you know, do you want a teammate? No, seems at odds with some of the conversations we've had. And yeah, I can see where it's about building, bringing together the right people, that the team building bit comes a bit later or comes as part of a process. But in that moment, you're looking for something else because I wondered about thinking back to professional footballers, that there is a degree to which personal brand comes before team brand in a way that I don't think that I think is different from previous years from, from uh, back in the day, Sean, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that the, (laughs) the, the, that the team identity for a player seems like the exception rather than the rule and actually players yeah, yeah. are themselves the superstars, the celebrities, the the, the m- multimedia brand.
2: I think that's, that is such a great point, and I think that actually is the whole reason why being able to understand and appreciate a culture and being able to develop a culture within a team environment is so, so important mm. and and bears such fruits, because... At the end of the day, like you said, a lot of people now, they're there for themselves. They've got millions of followers on Instagram. They've got more money from Adidas maybe than they have from the football club, as an yeah. example. So it, is, it really is that personal brand. And when you're almost competing with that to get a buy-in as a manager yeah. for the team, that is another challenge now that is thrown at managers obviously very frequently that they have to deal with, which probably 10 years ago, I think, any of that behaviour that sort of went on, I know Roy Keane speaks about it a lot, he would nip it in the bud before the manager even had to deal with it. It just yeah. wasn't accepted to portray yourself as more important than the group. Now that that's team, changed that, a that that,
1: that that Manchester United team is full of players that I see as team before person. Yes. Like the the yeah, name that 100%. came into my head was Ryan Giggs as a, Ryan, as a player yeah. that was more team than mm-hmm. himself. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. But, but I no, think... Definitely.
0: But Dom, on your on your point, just going back to to that academy player, uh, Mark, it's so weird because I literally wanted to ask you your thoughts as soon as Dom finished that question. I wanted to say, Mark, what about in your environment? Because I can see that that's something that you would, uh, you know, have have issue with, or maybe need to look at in a in a different kind of uh, frame. Um, but the point is, is that if that one kid becomes resilient, and you times that by. 11 or 15 or 22 or however big the squad is now you've got a pretty powerful culture and you've got a pretty powerful team you know that you know and that's what Ferguson relied on he didn't just have one or two players that would you know be accountable and uh, take ownership and give everything on the pitch he had a whole squad you know and I think if you take that into the business world or if you take that into a school environment if you've got 80 teachers or 100 members of staff who all kind of bleed for the school and all believe in those values and they're all on one mission, then you have a pretty powerful school as well, you know, a pretty powerful uh, organisation. So yeah, I really like that, that individual resilience, Dom, to then kind of timesing that up to the rest of, to the, rest of the group.
2: Yeah, I think, that, I think in any environment that you're working within, I think you, you create these, you create almost cultural architects within the people that you're working with. So what I mean by that is a cultural architect is somebody that is going to embody and represent your values and your behaviours and your beliefs and they're going to carry them out to almost become a role model to the rest of the group themselves. So they're almost a sub-leader within that environment now. Um, Now, if you have two or three of those players, you'll usually get the others on board. So new environment, I get two or three of those people that are really almost within my team, within my unit that are showcasing every day my beliefs and my behaviours and they are becoming that point of reference for everyone else in terms of that's our leader, maybe a captain, maybe a yeah. vice-captain figure. I want to represent and I want to mirror what he's doing. Yeah, for, last... then, for the new players coming in, what's really important is if you've got 11 of them, if you've got 10 of them, a new player coming in they almost don't even have the option to stand out. Their option is fit in. And if they're fitting into a mold of those cultural values and behaviors being very positive or associated with being a good person and being a good player, then that, that's where really you've done your job, I suppose, and you're going you're gonna to get the benefits.
1: Yeah,
0: 100%. I was just going to say, I think, so if that's, if that's getting to the point where And we're looking at all industries here, obviously not just sports, not just academies, but we're at the stage now where the player has walked through the door or that new member of staff has walked through the door. But I think that these cultures start even further back. They start before the before the player has has been signed or before that person has started at that graphic design company you know and uh, I read a book and it 's annoying because i can 't remember the name of it, but what the what the CEO done was he had three values which were smart, hungry, and humble, so he needed his employees to be smart, hungry, and humble and so he would do tests and he would go through those things in the interviews and ask questions that would you know, derive those answers as to whether they had those qualities. And he also didn't sit down in an interview room. He took them out and they went for coffee and he picked up his dry cleaning. And the point of all of this was, did the person say hello to the person behind uh, the coffee store? Did they say thank you? Did they smile? Did they wait patiently? What was the chat like in the car on the way to the coffee shop and the laundry? And that's how he discovered whether this was a, a smart, hungry, humble person that he wanted to work with. Then when you have the culture in place, they already kind of you know i don't know is symbiotic the right word mark you'll tell me if it is isn't Go kind of it. i tried to throw i tried to throw a good word out there because don <laughs> used one earlier i forgot what it was um uh, but uh but yeah it, it just kind of works without having to put too much work into it if that makes sense and i think that goes back to your point of once you have a few cultural architects the job is almost done for you to a point
2: yeah no 100 percent, 100 percent, and if people really believe in what you're doing and buy into what you're doing, they are definitely the best people to then almost sell that to new coming members of a team. So rather than it coming from you, the buying is coming directly player to player. So if somebody else is encompassing what you believe in and they are almost the model of that it gives straight away an example of this is our behaviours, this is what we demand from each individual within the collective context.
1: Yeah, it stops it from being an external thing and being an internal intrinsic uh, just how we roll. Definitely. Uh, I like that. (laughs) It's it's hugely important because I've been in organisations where values have been a statement, but the environment is not engineered to promote those values. And you have to think about, am I making it possible for the people in this building to be smart, humble, and hungry? Am I making it, you know, or have I set up an environment where people are being competitive? Like, you know, uh, Ray Dalio, we we talked about him a few weeks back. Um, His book of principles was built out of actions that he took to correct a mistake. How can I yeah, do this okay. better? Yeah, if I find true. a better way of doing it, let's keep that. And and so they aren't abstracts; they're mm-hmm. legitimate things that have to be done because that's how the place operates. Rather than aspirations, they're action. One
0: hundred percent, Dom. This is this. I, I don't want to go too off topic but this is just one that i I like to me me and uh me and my brother who has put this podcast together for for us to make this happen today uh, uh as he uh you know he he's worked with you as a colleague um we we've had this conversation and we don't know whether it's a big thing or a small thing but if you have an academy player who's eight years old eight nine years old and they sign for a club and they're in all the stash And then they wear that stash home and they wear that stash to school and they wear it around their local area. And friends of friends know that little Johnny plays for, you know, Arsenal Academy. Are we already getting them on that train of I'm a big deal in terms of a kind of cultural kind of environment? And is there any need for that? Could they all rock up in their own stuff and be, you know, individuals? And when you hit 14 years old. Fourteen, fifteen. 15, you get given this beautiful stash and now you represent the club. Um, I know everything is, likes to be on brand and when you go off to fixtures and stuff, of course, you're going to be in the beautiful gear and you're going to represent the club. But just during training, um, it was an interesting one that we've debated. I just wanted your opinion on it as a coach.
2: I think it's one of the most important aspects of actually managing the individual at that age for a football coach in that environment. You have to be so careful that, number one, nobody is going to become a professional at nine years old. So we cannot treat little Johnny or little Jeff, whatever you want his name to be, like he is already a professional footballer. No, but there's no, there's no reason for them to be treated like a little professional. We really have to make sure that, first of all, there is a, an element of you, we have to let the child be a child. So we, first of all, can't put a pressure on them and the pressure on the parents of thinking that this next game of football everything's riding on it and there's 50 million people watching you sort of thing uh, so you, they have to, you have to take the pressure away first of all but then it is about that culture of humility, humbleness and the way that you represent those behaviours to hope that the child is going to mirror you like I said you're a role model at that time. And especially in football, as a football coach, whether you are or not, every kid thinks you're the coolest person in the, in the world because you're their football coach. So they have that sort of affection for you, if you like, and connection with you. If they see that behavior of humble humility all the time from you, they will probably mirror that and, and recreate it. If they see you behave in a manner where maybe you don't showcase those values, then you can expect maybe little Johnny to go around the local park and, and, and be more of the big I am sort of thing um, yeah. and want everybody to know what he's doing and, and how good he is. Um, but the other thing is these players, especially at a young age, have to be aware of you're here at nine. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean you've got to be here when you're ten. Yeah. So work hard yeah. to be here and put your focus in being the best that you can be. But respect everyone always is always one of my first values. And what that means is the minute you start thinking that you're better than someone else, there's a very good chance at some point you'll fall behind them. And making the kids aware of that as well. Never treat anybody like they're beneath you or not as good as you. If you always perceive everybody to be better than you, you will constantly strive to improve yourself. If you perceive them as beneath you, that's a really dangerous mindset to get into of, of complacency. No, that's that is, a really good that way that to look at it. that can yeah.
1: be trickled down from above. If you're saying, yeah. to, to be here at 10 years old, be like the 10-year-olds. And those 10-year-olds are thinking, to be here at 12, I've got to be like these 12-year-olds. And the 12-year-olds are thinking, to be here at 17, I've got to be like these 17-year-olds. Yeah. That you can trickle down. And if you've had them for a long enough time... And if you have had these kids for you know five, six years even, uh I say 17, 17 is probably old for a professional football player these days. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> you you do have an opportunity to to create a building that the youngest person steps into and feels accepted by being that best version of themselves. They yeah. feel like, oh, I'm in the right place because I'm doing all of these, these good and positive things. 100%. It did occur to me about like not being the only influence as far as as far as yeah. being that role model and having uh you know whether it's parents or the you know a lot of a lot of people from a performing arts point of view will I use the example of a drama school audition when they the kid that gets into drama school because they are the biggest fish in their secondary school yeah. Uh, drama department. Yeah. They were the lead in every play, and they walk into a you know, and they've had someone blowing that smoke up them for the four years that they've been at secondary school, and they're walking into a room where everyone was the lead in their school play.
0: Yeah. Mark this is Mark, this is getting scary good. now because I literally wanted to ask you what is the equivalent of uh, <laughs> what is the equivalent of an academy player thinking they're the big I am at nine in in your kind of world. Um, and the, I guess it is that stage kid not, isn't. It's not
1: literally it? the Brit School who I think actually do a lot of really good work in exactly this area, but it's the kind of the kid that that gets th- thrown at stage school at, at sometimes you know five, six years old or ballet class, or, you know, these dance classes. And by the time they're 16, they are the best dancer in every room that they're in until they get to, you know, dance Mm -hmm. college or drama school. Um, But, you know, they've had parents that have committed to seeing their goal played out. They've had other coaches, the coach that sent them to you, that knows they're the best player they've ever coached, that may be invested in, you know, bigging them up a little bit.
2: Yeah, I, think again, it, it's, I suppose it's that almost that growth mindset again I know that if uh, there's not many things that, that I do very well to be honest but one thing that I do always <laughs> have in my head is if I can and if I know where they are I love to surround myself with people that I consider to be better than me so rather than searching for an environment where you're going to be the best and you're going to be able to tell everyone what to do and everyone go <clears throat> he's amazing this is the guy we are following. Let's go. I don't really want that. Maybe maybe it's also an age thing in terms of maybe I won't be like that when I'm a little bit older. But now at this point in my life, I'm really searching all the time for I want to be around people that I appreciate in terms of their level being higher than mine. Give me something to aspire to and I'm naturally a competitive person, which is Mm. why I'm in the job I'm in. Almost give me someone to chase. Give me that. Give me someone to chase. So I think it's about as well Are we creating people within our teams that go to a new environment with fear of is somebody going to be better than me? Or again, do we instill that mindset and imprint that mindset of they get in there, they see someone better than them or they perceive somebody as being better than them or more talented and they're actually excited by it. They actually think this is great. Someone I can steal things from, somebody I can learn things from.
1: percent. you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah
2: absolutely absolutely
0: mark i think i think i don't know about you mark but for me the experience of uh, of getting these podcasts out and starting the podcast a lot of it was to do with about trying to get some cool, intelligent people on uh, with interesting stories. Hopefully we'll get one on next week (laughs) then. Yeah. Well, do you know (laughs) what I mean? Yeah. We'll let this one pass and
2: then we'll get (laughs) some
0: one. (laughs) No, honestly, but, but Dom, that's the thing. Like, you know, me, me and Mark, uh, I've stole Mark's phrase, I think basically, but he, he's always talking about the juice and having the juice and, and, and people giving us some juice. And so, in the isolation, you know, we've been able to talk to 10 different people um, in terms of our episodes with all loads of juice in different areas. And it's really helped like, you know, and again with you today, it's just been really, uh, really fun. Again, really, really knowledgeable guy, really passionate and it's, uh, yeah, it just motivates me to, to try and learn a little bit more myself. So, so thanks very much.
2: <laughs> no, definitely. I think, I think the best thing about lockdown has actually been the amount people get a chance to share everyone's always so concentrated on what they're doing because we have to be you know at the end of the day we, our work is our livelihood we have to be focused on that and usually it's our sole focus but this actual opportunity now to collaborate and connect and and discuss and share ideas it, it's great for that it's been i think it's been really good for that
0: so Dom, we usually ask um, our guests, uh, you know, if there are any coaches out there that maybe inspired them, or just that they took little pieces from, um, because coaches make coaches. We think a lot of the time. Um, so, is there anyone out there that um, you want to maybe shout out, or maybe just uh, t- tell us why? Tell us why they inspired you. I yeah. Guess? What it
1: is the that, that is now part of your coaching vocabulary yeah. or your your way of working that that they gifted you.
2: I think this is so interesting because this is, again, it really is down to obviously the individual and the way that you're inspired is completely down to your own makeup as well. Because the leader that I'm about to mention um, was a PE teacher in my secondary school called Mr. Stanford. And I can honestly tell you that he was unanimously disliked by probably 99% of the school and if he, if he listens to this he won't even bother about me saying that because he knew it he probably, he probably quite enjoyed it yeah. but, but my personality was always that if you were fluffy with me and you said have you thought about doing this or please can you try and commit a little bit better to this or work harder in this lesson whatever I wasn't going to have it when I was younger when I was 13, 14 I would have just thought whatever and carried on Mr. Stanford was the first teacher to really just get a grip of me and, and almost give me a proper old school rollicking and just go in on me. And I was like, wow, like I am getting told here like I'm in bother. And, <laughs> when, and when he did it, I just remember thinking, I need to be around this guy, that this is someone who's going to get the best out of me in my education. I don't turn up to his lesson. Like, I'm not scared about him shouting at me. I'm scared about him chasing me around the yard with a cricket bat. Like This guy really is going to take it to me. He's just not going to have it. Um, and that leadership in terms of... There is people still now who they need that strong leader. They need somebody almost taking a, an authoritarian stance with them. But then how unfortunately I am definitely I think in the minority there. So... Even though that worked for me, I remember making the mistake a few times when I was sort of 17, 18, and I started my first few coaching roles where I, I almost treat everybody how I would have liked to be treated. So people say, obviously, treat people the way you would like to be treated. So I did that. It didn't work. It's nonsense. Uh, because <laughs> people didn't like being treated the way that I did. Um, so it, it, it's almost the good and the bad of you take things from people But then you have to know the individuals within your group to know what is going to work for them. Because there's other good leaders that I've had and and people that have coached me that are completely different to that. Where they were really good in terms of, if I had a problem at home or a really personal issue, I would probably go to them before anyone. And that was because of the trust that I had for them. And now with my coaching, I like to always ask somebody when they arrive how's your day been, how are things at home, and show that care of, if somebody's going back to the car after the game and something doesn't seem quite right, of course you can let them walk off. Maybe you don't feel obligated to deal with it, but if you want to create a family, then you have to be the first one who says, "Now nah, I'm going to deal with that, and I'm going to go and put my arm around him, I'm going to go and ask him how he is. Um, and making that effort with that one person, as we said before, they then can become that cultural architect in terms of, they're going to do that to the next guy in the team. They're going to then you know, repeat that behaviour of, he looked out for me when I needed someone, I'm going to do it for the other guy. And that's when those relationships transmit from professional to personal. And when you can create those personal bonds in a professional context, I think the the actual if you like the level that you can then reach and the height of your aspirations, I think they change and, and they certainly increase.
0: Wow. That was a, that was a great response to that question. Thank you,
1: Dom. Love it. Thank you very much. Love it. Um, yeah, we have chatted for an hour without even, without even looking back. Uh, I was not watching the clock on that one at all. Uh, I think that qualifies as juice. Um,
2: <laughs> so, I'm over I'm sorry lads <laughs> Rated so juice
1: You got a juice rating <laughs> <laughs> um, So So yeah I think we can pro- We can probably Wrap it up there Unless there's anything else You wanted to Get Get off your chest If you want to call out Any other teachers <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, I, no, there's there's nothing there's nothing for me to uh, nothing for me to plug or anything. Just honestly, thank you so much for, for obviously having me on. It's been been great, obviously having a chat with you both. So no one, no one much.
0: in Burnley, no no one back home, no no little like fish yeah, and mean, chip shop or the, anyone. The,
2: <laughs> thing, the thing is, there's just not that many people that I like enough to want to give that sort of shout out to. <laughs> Do you know what? I'll have to i have to give a shout out to Casey though. So Casey, <laughs> Casey, if you're listening, then I, I am missing you during lockdown. <laughs>
1: Dom, thank you so much for coming on. That um, And especially that last bit, uh, so insightful. And uh, for me personally, whenever we talk about the kind of the, the real competitive arenas, it always feels hugely important to come back to a level of humanity and a level of kindness. That is what, for me, teams are built on. So I, I, a beautiful way to, to close it out. So thank you again so much for coming on and stay safe in lockdown.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Thank you. Dom, thank you so much, mate. Really appreciate you coming on. That was
0: excellent. Really good. Um, I hope our audience uh, enjoyed that one. Um, And take care in lockdown, mate.
1: So we hope that some of our new listeners uh, enjoyed that. And those of you who have heard it before, uh, we're reminded of some of the gems that were in there. So in the past, Sean, we've talked a lot about how the kind of the COVID context informed one, our ability to get awesome guests, but also kind of how they were viewing their training. So this is another one of those that was recorded slap bang in the middle of that. And I think probably because of recent recent news where we're recording this the day after a second uh, lockdown has been announced nationally. I think there's, there's loads in there that still applies.
0: Yeah, I think for those coaches who maybe won't be able to work with their squads and their teams over the next month, um, that's obviously hugely unfortunate. Uh, but it is an opportunity for us to reflect as coaches, to look at our practices, to see if we are modelling the values that we're asking of our players. Um, because I think that's ultimately how you gain their respect And I think once you have that respect, that's when you can actually be successful. um, Well, it's when you can start
1: challenging people, isn't it? Once you have that trust and respect that is built off of action, that is, you know, things that have actually happened, that you've actually done, then you can start asking more of people and seeing them step up or seeing them step
0: forward. Exactly. I mean, Simon Sinek, I think, has a book... Leaders Eat Last, um, I believe is the title. And just in that sense, you know, it's about as a leader, as a coach, making sure that you're doing all the dirty work, really, or that you're happy to roll your sleeves up. Because if you are, then I think the players ultimately will jump on board and do the same as you. Um, I don't think there should be a separation between what's expected from the coach and what's expected from the players. Yeah, we have
1: different jobs, we have different functions that we're performing, but uh, we we didn't talk about it in the intro actually, but we talked to um we've spoken this week off microphone about a school that uses three numbers as the baseline of their expectation. Yes. Uh, do you want to remind us of the well, remind me of those three numbers?
0: Yeah. So firstly, thank you very much to uh Charlie, one of our regular listeners and colleagues who um, put us onto these three numbers, actually. Um, And I really like them. So it was 1, 98 and 100. Mm. And they symbolize uh, one is the amount of times a teacher should have to correct a behavior with a student. 98 was the expected attendance and 100 was the level of effort uh, that students should be putting into their studies. Yeah. Uh, and I really like those three numbers.
1: Definitely. And you say, you say their students, I think when you have an organization, particularly when you have an organization of adults, like that applies across the board. Oh, absolutely. It's about, it's yeah. about, I'm going to be one where, where we're talking about young people. It's like one is the number of times I'm going to correct you as a uh, maximum for adults in that environment I think that humility that is required to be corrected by the people that you're working with that it also stands as a minimum one is the amount of times uh, at least I am going to accept being corrected by you where I can learn as a as a leader that I don't always do it right
0: yeah I mean if if you uh, refer to me in a certain way by email and I don't like it I shouldn't have to ask you again (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I promise everyone that that's not related to a specific incident between Sean and I. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that that um, that 100% effort obviously counts for everyone. So I hope everyone enjoyed that. We'll be taking a break next week to have our 10-episode reflection uh, because this is the 30th episode and come back with some new great guests. Uh, hopefully, in some different fields. Again, if you want to recommend anyone or yourself, you can hit us up on social media at NoI Podcast or by email, mark or sean at noipodcast.show, or connect with us on LinkedIn and start a conversation. We've had a couple of really great conversations over there. And uh, i really enjoy getting involved in the chat around teamwork, leadership, uh, motivation, all of these things that we're talking about week in, week out uh, with people who have different perspectives on it um again as we say at the end of every series it's a it's a massive privilege to be able to have these conversations with people
0: yeah just thank you to all of our guests without you obviously we don't have a podcast and to all of our listeners um and for all your feedback i think with this being the end of the third series please do take the time to give us five stars go on (laughs) Um, give us five stars on Apple and uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. It's, it's positive it really motivation,
1: isn't it? It's it's had to enforce good behaviour. Exactly. Yeah, we've we've had a few reposts because of uh, going back to going back to work. But if you do find you have a little bit more time during lockdown and you want to share a conversation with us, we would love it. That's all we're going to say for today. So the last thing is to say goodbye from Sean. Goodbye, guys, and uh, goodbye from me. Goodbye. You must be like the wolf pack. Teamwork.
0: Yes!